Oh, I got it. I got it. Hey, everybody. What's going on? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. Uh, today is uh, it's not Powernomics Thursday, but today is going to be Powernomics Friday because every day is a good day to do Powernomics. And uh, today I have an opportunity to speak with a special guest, a respected individual, somebody that you all know and I know many of you love, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson. Dr. Anderson is the author of the books uh, Powernomics, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Black History Reader, and Dirty Little Secrets 1 and 2. So as you come into the chat, uh, uh, greet Dr. Anderson. Let him know uh, that how much you love him. Also, on this platform, we are black first. That means that it doesn't matter if you are male or female, you're black first. doesn't matter if you're light-skinned or dark-skinned, you're black first. doesn't mean you're Democrat or, cons- or, or Republican, you're black first. I don't care if you're gay or straight, you're black first. So everybody who agrees with that, put hashtag B1 in the chat. Hashtag B1 is your way to say that you are black first. Number one, that's very important so we can have a healthy conversation and we can disagree without it becoming any kind of an issue. So uh, hit the thumbs up button. So, Dr. Anderson, I want to ask you, uh, my friend, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, a little better than I have been in the past. Looks like I might survive. I know a lot of my enemies <laughs> That's sad news for them. But <laughs> well, you know, you ever heard? Uh, uh, y'all can tell me in the chat if y'all know this song. I don't know if you ever heard Dr. Anderson. There was a song by by the rapper Fifty Cent, and it said, "Many men wish death upon me, the blood in my dog, and I can't see. I'm trying to be what I'm destined to be." And then he says the N word. He says they're trying to take my life away. I put a hole in a blah blah for messing with me. So so call so Dr. Anderson is the new 50 cent, the original 50 cent, the original gangster. That's what you're gonna be today. You are the OG. And so uh so so anybody praying on Dr. Anderson's um uh not not uh not doing well, uh your prayers will not be answered uh anytime soon. So I'm I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're doing well. Well, thank you very much, and that's awfully kind of you and uh but I know you're always very complimentary and so and supportive. So I, do, I just take that and just just sprinkle myself with it all over. <laughs> well, we we're here for you, and I know everybody loves you. And so let's uh, let's jump in. Um, instead of y'all sitting here listening to me uh, uh, badly quote Fifty Cent lyrics, uh, I, I want to uh, bring jump right into this uh, discussion. Doctor Anderson wants to meet with the Biden administration. Uh, you've been reaching out. Uh, to the Biden administration with the team, a team of individuals you're working with on a project that you would like to pursue. And uh, I'd love for you to talk about that, if you could. And, uh, and and you mentioned you also would like to share the history of transportation and why your high-speed railway project and some of the other initiatives that you're pursuing uh, is so important for you and so important for the community. Uh, the floor is yours. Oh, well, thank you very much for that, in- that introduction. I want black folk to understand this particular time, we are right where we want it to be. And that is, we get now on board and we should be presenting the um, new high-speed rail system to blacks across the country this weekend on, in, uh, in press releases as well as uh, in, uh, media presentations through the radio all across the country. This is the first of its kind in the history of this nation. You all just cannot, cannot afford to let this get by. This is it. It's very important. And uh, because you see this high-speed rail system would wind up being a platform or, or a base level for black folk to start playing the game the way whites have been playing it for 465 years. This is our chance to start playing the game and build one of the things that is extremely important in terms of laying a platform. That is beginning to build industries. We are. Do you know that we are the only people on earth 
We're the only people on earth who've never enjoyed the fruits of an industrialization process. You know, when industrialization went through the European continent back in the 1700s, and black folk were enslaved all across Europe when the industrial development occurred over there. And when the, when the industrial uh, uh, re, uh, revolt and revolution crossed the ocean and came to the United States in the 1800s, guess what? We were still being enslaved in this country by a new class of Europeans coming to America. So we missed the, we missed the, the industrial revolution both in Europe, in the continent, and in America. And we've never, never enjoyed the fruits of an industrialization. And what, I, what the, this high-speed rail system does, it says, so you finally going to get a chance. You finally get a chance to have what you've never been able to have. And that's really why we don't have very many businesses in the country. You can't. You have to have in, industries before you can have those businesses because those industries have to, pro, have to provide the resources and goods and, and services and the wealth that you're going to need. And we've never had it. So let me flip through history very quickly, show what I mean by that. They've always shortchanged black folk and kept them outside of the loop in terms of development. And let's take transportation, which we're going to be talking about with the uh, with the uh, high speed rail system. See, back in the, let's go back. Let's go back to let's see about uh, back to about the early about the mid 1800s. In the mid 1800s, see black folk again were outside the loop. Black folk would, had very little involvement in transportation in this country. The best they ever got was being a a, a carriage driver or a wagon driver. That was it in terms of being being anything dealing with with transportation. And that lasted for quite a long while, from about uh, up until from eight, mid 1800s, up until about the um, until about the early, early 1860s. At that time, they, they, two things began to occur in this nation. People got very interested in, and because the Civil War was going, going on, coming up, and they wanted to get into the railroad business. So you had you had various individuals who had a lot of wealth in this country, a lot of wealth, like like the Vanderbilts and the and the, and the Rockefellers. And the, and the J.P. Morgans, and they've gotten all their money now because they were wealthy. And, and build a railroad is extremely, extremely expensive. And they've gotten all this money, and they wanted, and they wanted to say, well, we're going to put a railroad across this country. And so they went to the United States government to look for endorsements from it and also look for money to be able to do it. And so they started working on this, and they got they had about somewhere around about 11 to 20 individuals all together, and, the mo and all of them were wealthy. All were wealthy, and some were played as a group, some played as individuals. They wanted to build these railroads, so they, so they got the permission and authority to build railroads across America. Now they built them from from east to west, but at that time primarily going out to, to from the east coast all the way out to the uh, Mississippi River. At that time, they had not begun to explore the Mississippi River. They didn't really get into doing any uh, exploring and 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 opening the, the west up until after the Civil War. But they, they, they so they got permission to build these railroads, and guess what? And building those railroads, the government gave them 24 million acres of free property land. They gave they gave all those rich white folks that, that and who were going to build those railroads, and the, and the whites already had the benefits of wealth. You know where they got their wealth from? From slavery. The, the mm -hmm. Vanderbilts, J.P. Morgan's, and the Rockefellers they got their wealth from slave from the backs of slaves. So they had whole all these big pots of money, and so they gave them gave them 24 acres, 24 million acres. And what that means in, in, in small layman terms is that on each side of a railroad, they gave the white uh, developers and entrepreneurs at that time, gave them six miles, six miles of, 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 of acreage on both sides of the railroad going and coming so they could own all that land and, and build these railroads. And, uh, and, and in addition to that, they gave them something like about $27 million in capital to be able to do it. 
But black folks, then they said, well, how are we going to do about black folk? They said, well, we got to lay all these tracks. And so at that time, all these, all these uh, uh, railroad land developers, they turned around and bought slaves. They had slaves. They, you know what they want slaves for? Not only can we use the money off of your back, but we also want you to lay the tracks across this country. You're going to lay the tracks. But see, these are the kind of things that whites not going to give you credit for, and i got to mention to you. You'll never know about it. They took black folk with the, with the driving and laying the rails across America and laying, and laying the rods and also the, the, the labor of, uh, in, 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 in what we call the engine room at that time. So they had blacks up in the front there driving, serving as engineers, which means, you know why? Because it was very hot and smoking and dirty. And so those blacks were, were using, at that time, they were running these engines off of coal and wood. And it was, and it was, very, it was extremely dusty and hot. And so they, they used it for that. But most importantly, they used it for laying the tracks and the rails. But they were, again, unimpa- unpaid labor. And they built those tracks across the country. And, but, but then they say, well, we're not going to put any tracks in the south. We're going to put them only up north and on the east coast. You know why? Because the south then was a, was a, was a hotbed, the hotbed of slavery. Because you see in all those southern states like South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and, 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 and over in the Texas, th- th- those states had about almost a 50% black population. They weren't going to run any, any tracks through that. So that were, that's why you don't have any railroad lines running through the south of any significance. It's all on the east coast and running uh, out to the west. That, and, they could, and, when, and after the Civil War, they ran them from the west out to California. And so they started laying these tracks. But pretty soon they laid so many tracks and, and using, so, using up so many blacks and killing blacks. This was, this was back killing the work. Except for one exception, there's a black called John Henry. You may have heard about him, John Henry, the slave driver, the, 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 the uh, spike driving man. That was a real man, real black man. He was a big, strong, burly man. And and this, and we still have a song that's very popular called "John Henry Was a Steel Driving Man." And so, black folk were the, were the people that were laying the, rack, the tracks and also doing the hard work of our railroads. But then they started killing so many blacks. And, 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 and at the same time, all these blacks were being killed working these railroads. Guess what was happening? They discovered gold in California. They discovered gold in California. Then all of a sudden, Asians began to pour into the country. And they gave Asians what black folk had never gotten. Black folk were still enslaved, but Asians poured into the country. Chinese and Japanese poured into the California. And what they demanded was they were demanded citizenship over black folk. They demanded to be over black folk. And so consequently, the whites then that were running these railroads, they paid these Chinese to be labor. You know, that, that wasn't slave labor. That was cheap labor. The Chinese got paid to, to work the railroads. Blacks got nothing. And the blacks was dying. And John Henry put out a song about him. John Henry was a slave driving man. Shebang, shebang. And uh, so finally, it, it, they got these railroads laid. Uh, black folk, the only thing black folk could get then in terms of work was again to work as engines, working as engines, throwing wood and coal on the, into the engines, and so that was so that was a platform for for uh, but black folk, no black folk could invest, no black folk could own any anything in transportation at that point in time, and that went on that went on throughout most of the all the way through the Civil War, and but by the, by the 1880s another thing began to pop up. All of a sudden we uh, we needed blacks and uh, black whites were also selling conflict. But whites then wanted to come up with something else called buses. They wanted buses. And so they began to start working on bringing buses and, and I mean, automobiles and buses. And so uh, the first automobile came, that came into the country 
black folk and might, might not have been educated, but weren't dumb and stupid. They weren't stupid. They could, they, they even though they, they've been denied an education, they, they were, they were, they were gratuitously given ignorance by whites in the society. And so then they, they said, well, we got to have some other form of transportation other than the railroads. And so guess what? A black man came up with a, with a, with an idea to build the first automobile in this country. They had automobiles, a few automobiles that popped up in the, over in Europe. But so the first automobile was not Henry Ford, what they're telling you about. It was not Henry Ford. It was a black guy. And C.R.R. C.R. Patterson, C.R.R. Patterson, that was who built the first, first. And what he did, he just simply used those carriages and those wagons that were popular in that time where the black folk were driving, with a driver in carriages. He, he, he made his first cars look almost like carriages, but, but, they, were, but they were single automobiles. And they came up called the Patterson Automobiles. And they were very, very well built very strong and powerful cars. And they did very well for about 19, from about 1873. His first, we put out his first uh, automobiles in 1873 in Ohio. And he was doing very well. And, uh, but again, he, had to, he was up against major opposition and racism in that time. And, 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 and uh, so by the turn of the century, guess what happened? Henry Ford jumped into it. Now Henry Ford didn't jump up to it and sort of kill off blacks in that form of transportation. He jumped into it because Henry Ford came up with something that was new. He came up with capital that, that again, that slave made uh, for having black slaves. He came up with, he had more money and wealth than, uh, than the Pattersons did. But the Patterson automobiles, might be, you might still find a few of them in museums around the country. Those are the hardest and best built automobiles at that time, what they call the Patterson automobiles. And so then Ford jumped up and started putting his car in. Now, what he did, what Ford did to give him an advantage over Patterson, I'm going to cut this short so I'll show you some of this. Over Patterson was what he did. Um, he started using a system that came from slavery, and that was called assembly lines. He's picked up the slave plantations assembly lines on plantations. Most people didn't know that they they they, they kept blacks in a in a line and it, like five or ten to a line, and they would go up and down the rows in the cotton fields that sometimes would spread through eighty acres of land. You had to go to walk straight ahead. The first one in there would be a would be a chopper. He chopped whole, he chopped back the grass. And knock the grass and, and so he just get to the dirt. The next black behind him would dig the, would dig a hole in the dirt, and then the one behind him when he came up there he would drop the seed in the hole for, for whether it's for cotton or rice or not rice but uh, tobacco or for uh, 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 whatever 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 they plan on growing, and cotton. And so then the next one behind him would cover the cover the hole up. Then the next one would come behind him he would just pour the water, and that was called an assembly line. So Henry Ford he built his railroad system. I mean, automobile system. He used the assembly line process and took it from the from the plantations for black slaves and moved it to the to the to the automobile industry in Detroit, Michigan, out on Woodward Avenue. So that's what that's how we got into automobiles. And but at the same time, other blacks, other people said, "Well, how about buses?" And buses began to come on scene. And black folks then were denied uh, because the Patterson was put out of business in about 1920 when when uh, when Ford uh, put put his automobiles on his on the streets. And uh, called the T model Ford, but uh, but blacks then start thinking about other forms of transportation, and what they did then, they start thinking about about buses, and that and and at the same time in the twenties, nineteen twenties, as a, as the railroads then began to peep down, drop down, and blacks were still trying to figure out how to get good jobs on them, and most of the things jobs blacks had had up until that time were being engineers in terms of working the engines and feeding the fires and with coal and wood. And the others became puller, would be porters. They became 
railroad porters at best, and blacks were dominating the industry. That were prices set up for, for railroads by being the porters and making, and that was one of the best jobs you could get at that time was being a porter because you made it most in tips. And so, so by the 1920s, blacks began to organize and try to set up an organization of unions, union workers, and that was A. Philip Randolph came up and said, "Let me try to organize these these black." So they became puller, uh, pullers, uh, puller porter, porters, and worked for the railroads. And uh, and a big crisis did that, and then, and the president had to end, finally intervene to stop these blacks from boycotting and shutting down the railroads. But while they were doing that, then the, then the buses began to come on the scene. So we've got to have buses, some other alternative form of transportation. And so mm-hmm. black folk were shut out of that industry and, and out of the automobile industry. Then, 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 and, and, but in the train system, they only never could get past just being porters, moving, moving, moving baggage, working around the engines. And when white folks started riding the, the damn trains, white folk rode the trains where? They didn't ride it up front because if, from, from, the, from the engine on the train, from the engine on the train, where the blacks were, were shoveling the coal and the woods and hot and burning, it was smoky, dusty, and dark. And so what they did, the first place, first train car and a train would always be for black folk. So when black folk could ride a train, they could have to sit up front right there while all the smoke and dust and dirt was. And, uh, and, 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 the, and, the, and the further you get back on the train where it was cool, cool, that's where all the whites were. And the last train that we call the caboose, that was for the owners of the train. So the train system started, started weakening in this country. They started getting, getting to the buses. And then black folk didn't get a chance to get into any of this stuff. But now we get, blacks got a chance. This is our chance. And what, what, what the Power Numbers Corporation now is overside is to have uh, a black high-speed rail system in the United States, not going through the North, not going to the West, but going through the black old black cotton belt, starting from South Carolina and running all the way across the United States, all the way over to Texas. And with, with five major stops, those major, major stops might be starting out along the, along the like highway, close to Highway 95, going down the East Coast and close to Augusta, Georgia, and, and around South Carolina there. But, and uh, that's, that track is gonna be running uh, at 250 to 300 miles an hour, taking black and white riders from the East Coast to Texas. It'll make, it'll make five stops. The first stop will be in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're gonna have build depots and, and, build, and buildings, hotels, and places where blacks can ha- get access to all kinds of jobs get on the tracks, building land and tracks, but this time they're gonna be paid or being construction workers or whatever they're gonna be. And when they get to those depots, those five depots, those five depots will be set up in five stops. The first stop will be in Atlanta, Georgia. The next one will be in Birmingham, Alabama. The next one will be in Jackson, Mississippi. The next one will be in Shreveport, Louisiana. And the last one will be in Dallas, Texas. And black folk would have a chance to get these contracts and get all these jobs and opportunities to ride those, 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 those high-speed rail systems. And we're moving to 250 miles an hour to 300 miles an hour. And we're going to take our riders across the country uh, in, in, in luxurious seatings and high-speed rails with dining cars and food and service and everything else. When they stop at those depots, they can get off and get either get hotels or rental cars, or they can go buy uh, souvenirs or whatever they want to buy from the local shops, confection stands down there. So all this is being set up for you now, and, the, and it's, it's being overseen and watched out for, for Black folks. That power Numbers is doing is the power numbers source. We're, we're the political arm. We're the, we're the point of the spear for making sure this project gets done. Now, the, uh, the, the, the Riley, um, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, the, uh, the Riley situation, um, 
they'll be they'll be the people that were going to be t- taking care of you. They they're going to be uh, pushing all this and building it. It's going to take about five or six about five or six years to get this whole thing built. And so what we want you to do is be prepared. You can either get look for jobs or for ridership or for shipping cargo or just simply being a passenger. And that would be going to be setting up after we get one, two things we need. We need your help right now. That's why I'm giving you all this information that we're going to be the, for the first time in history. Black's going to be in the first place on a high speed rail system. We got high speed rail systems going across rail tra- trains running across Europe. We got them in Asia, but we don't have them in America. This will be the first time we'll have one in this country, and it's going to be black-based and black-motivated. And we're going to have sort of we're going to have bipartisan ownership in some of it, but blacks are going to be the predominant owners in it. And as they go across the country, you're going to be, you're going to be guaranteed that you're going to get chances for first for jobs and a partnership, and also and, and a chance to, to be proud of having a high-speed rail system that that blames the black folk. It's going to be vertically ordered. Once we build these, we're going to build hotels around those stops in those five cities I just mentioned to you. We're going to have uh, restaurants and cafe, and there are all other kind of good things going on. But what we want you to do in conclusion of this, we want all of you right now to start it. Don't beg, no marches, no praying, and no hoping. We want you to demand from the, the federal administration that they immediately meet with the power numbers company or power numbers uh, campaign for this high-speed rail system and get it up and running as quickly as we can and going across the South and give those cities a chance to, to bring in more business opportunities for tourists and everything else. The cities will prosper, the states will prosper, and the, uh, the black uh, high-speed rail system will profit for the first time and it's gonna be vertically ordered. And you can, and you can also, also compete for, what, for who's gonna raise, who's gonna put in those hotels and those, and those shops in those different cities. This is your time. And not like, as I said, in history, where you, you were shut out all the time. You're going to be shut out on this. Believe me, Powernomics will be in the driver's seats. We're the engines. And for the first time, you will be first. And I promise you that. And this is your person, one person that you know loves you. <laughs> and I love some of the people just because you are the weakest people on earth. And everybody <laughs> denies you and everything. But then they, and they, they always think my people are fools. You know, we, we're going to use them. We'll use their labor. We'll build. We'll build. We'll, we'll take over all the systems. We'll, 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 why is that important? Because whites know right now, whoever owns the industry, whoever owns the systems, the transportation systems, the communication system, the food systems, who owns the system has the power. And that's who's going to either enslave you or Jim Crow segregate you. Whoever owns those things for the first time, you got a chance to own something that they don't have right now. This is your chance. It's our chance. And I love you. And started calling and call a uh, send emails to the federal government, to to the to the White House, to the Biden uh, Biden administration. Send them to uh, to Department of Transportation, and to Babuji, uh, and also ask tell him that we have we've completed all the paperwork. We got we're gonna have we got the money ready to go. This is our chance. Don't let me down now. I'm out here by myself struggling for you all. Don't you dare to let me down. I want you to just fill the paper up, paper and telephone calls to both all places and mm-hmm. say, this is our time and I love you. All right. Well, everybody who wants to, um, who wants to follow up, uh, I'm, I'm a mute you, Dr. Anderson. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback, but, uh, 
But everybody who wants to uh, follow up and do an outreach to uh, the Biden administration, um, if you go to USA.gov on this website, they show you uh, right here at the top how to how to contact uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, this is a phone number for the White House switchboard. Uh, you can locate the contact information for all your senators here, for all your representatives, state elected officials, local, etc. So it's USA.gov. USA.gov is a site you can go to uh, to be able to get in touch with your elected officials. So feel free uh, to do that. So, Dr. Anderson, let me ask you this question then. Um, uh, in ter- let me make one correction, uh, Dr. Watson. Uh, I, I didn't give you the right name for the uh, organization. It's called the Finley Group. It's the Finley Group. They're located in uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. And and, and, if, and if, if you get your hands on a piece of literature, you can send emails to them, and they'll be glad to hear from you. But we're together now. And this this project, as I said, is going to bring all the blacks in America together, from the from the East Coast, the West Coast, from North and South. This is the first thing, the first time that we're going to do what the civil rights movement did not do. We're going to bring you together, talking about how we're going to acquire money and some personal pride for people that for 465 years never owned anything of significance and presently own own one half of one percent. There's nothing in this country that black folk own and control that's greater than a half a percent. And that's our, and that's in the richest nation on the earth. This time, it's our time. We're going to get this thing up and, and uh, within a few months, it's going to be, we're going to break ground and dig a hole and start planting the, tr- the tracks across America. And I would appreciate you all spending all your time telling black folk this is ours and con- stay in contact with Dr. Watson and he'll help you push this across the country. All right. And uh, everybody, uh, in case you just came in, um, we're speaking with Dr. Claude Anderson. Dr. Anderson is the author of the books Powernomics, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Black History Reader and Dirty Little Secrets. Uh, His website, uh, if you haven't got these books for your children, you should. Uh, His website is Powernomics.com. That's Powernomics.com. Also, uh, if you could take one second real quick. uh, We're building black owned media here and we can really use your help. So if you could uh, hit the thumbs up button right now, hit that share button right now, uh, share this to your social media. Just take the link and share it and then type a yes in the chat. Once you've done something, you, once you hit the thumbs up button, shared it or whatever it is you can do, we really appreciate that because we're trying to grow black media. And we really need everybody's help in getting this done because we don't have billions of dollars like everybody else. We're working with what we got. Uh, we're promoting black intelligence. Now, uh, in terms of contacting your government officials, uh, USA.gov, USA.gov is a good place to go. Um, also, um, if uh, uh, Dr. Anderson, if somebody wants to reach out to the Powernomics Corporation to help out on, on some other level, is there is there a way? Can they just go to the website? Is that Powernomics.com? Yes, they go. Yeah, they can go to Powernomics.com, and there they can buy the five books that covers all this stuff. That's the Powernomics. And on the, on the, once they go to the website, they can order that five that uh, five book pack. And for and black folk right now, we got I got about seven major projects going to be coming up. And if these things, if these projects become the, uh, materializes, you will never have to worry about racism anymore, because now racism is based on who owns and controls the wealth and the resources. You're going to start owning, controlling wealth and resources. I assure you that. And if you want to get some direct questions to the to the Finley Group. Here's let me give you a number I had here for them. In okay. telephone, if you want to, if you want to record it, the yeah, telephone number is. Uh, um, I got one here. If you want me to, if you want yeah, me to, 
Yeah, could you read the number off to him? Yeah, actually, and you know what I'm gonna do? Because uh, right. I, I know a lot of people always, a lot of people reach out and they wanna, they wanna reach out to you and contact you and stuff like that. And uh, unfortunately, my team doesn't have the capacity to take all the all the queries that come in. But uh, I have the Finley Group press release right here. And uh, I'm going to post this and email this out. If you sign up at allblackeconomics.com, get on our email list, I'm going to send out this press release. But here's the phone number right here at the top. Um, I'm going to try to zoom in on it so you guys, so everybody can see it real clear. Let me uh, flip around here. Um, let me see if I can scoot this over. So the phone number is 205-856-3022. That's 205-856-3022. And the, the email is, say it again. P.O. Box. Could you give them that P.O. Box, too? Yes. Uh, P.O. Box 611147, Birmingham, Alabama, 35261. And the um, email is info at com. But it but group is spelled GRP. So info at F-I-N-L-E-Y-G-R-P.com. That's right there on the screen. If you didn't catch it, um, just uh, rewind the video and uh, and you'll see it that way as well. So there's the information if you want to somehow be directly involved or if you have resources that can help uh, get the project done. That's 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 how you can um, connect and reach out. So, Dr. Anderson, let me ask you a question um, right now on Capitol Hill. There's a lot of discussion about reparations right now. And uh, and they're talking about H.R. 40 and trying to get a reparations bill passed through um, to study reparations. And uh, I noticed that in, in the experts that they invited to speak on the issue, they brought in people like Herschel Walker, the football player, um, a few other uh, folks. You know, I, I can't name everybody. Uh, maybe you all can name some names in the chat. And uh, they didn't include your name. And I found that really interesting, given that, you know, given that you, according to many millions of people, I, I assume a lot of people here would agree, you are the, if not one of the leading experts on reparations and you have the most uh, documentation of almost anybody on exactly why black folks deserve reparations. Uh, can you speak on what you're seeing with the HR 40 conversation and why you think that uh, that you weren't you weren't asked to participate in the in the uh, the debate over this bill? Well, first of all, I was I would prefer to hold off expressing my opinions until, let's say, give me about 60 days. I'll be glad to do it. I don't want to do anything that would make somebody angry and, and, and they started moving against the uh, high-speed rail system because they didn't like what I said. But I, do, I am proud of the fact that the Biden administration has said, well, I'm going I'm to do something in re reparations for black folk. And I think he may have mentioned the high, uh, HR 40. And, uh, and I appreciate that coming from him. But, uh, but very quickly and without getting too much involved in it, because uh, I don't, I don't want to necessarily criticize other people because I don't do that. And, uh, uh, on on in on mass media, but the H House Bill Forty is almost really in my mind. This is strictly my mind, not speaking of anyone else. But of all my years in politics, going all the way back for sixty years, House Bill HR uh, Forty is almost a damn waste of time, and is it's not designed to do anything for black folks. It really is an insult for black folk, because but I, even though I, I I want every politician to understand the, the, the broader aspect of it. And not just the House bill uh, for reparation. Don't just focus on the House bill of HR uh, 40 because that's a waste of time. Focus on the larger th thing, which is really reparations that Black folk could do. It's, it's a, a debt that's due to Black folk, and every individual in this in this society is obligated to Black folk. They all came here and got free and freeloaded and got free lunches, 
if they're going to say immigrants. And, and two of the biggest lies that's ever been told and is, is being told today. And that is about, and see, everybody say, well, what's the big lie? The big lie is about um, Trump talking about, uh, uh, not Trump, uh, yeah, Trump talking about uh, conspiracies and, and, and the January 6th uh, raiding of the, of, the, of, the, of the Capitol building and, uh, and attacking it. That's not the biggest lie. Yes, Trump may have issued an, uh, an, uh, 4,000 lies in over a five-year period, but that's not the big lie. The two big lies is this. Two big lies is this. The biggest lie ever, the two biggest lies ever told in the entire United States is the, here they are. The biggest lies ever told was not what you hear about Trump. The biggest lies ever told was that, first of all, that this is an immigrant nation and everybody here are immigrants. That's a lie. Black folk are not immigrants. Black folk, they keep calling black folk immigrants, but that's called throw 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 boo-boo on everybody. And that way you can't have to do it. You don't have to do anything for anybody. Blacks are not immigrants. And they keep placing blacks and making blacks equal to these immigrants coming into the country. So there will be no justification for doing anything specifically for the native black Americans. Native black Americans are not immigrants. They've never been immigrants because once they put on those slave ships coming to America, they were stripped. They were de-Africanized. Everything dealing with Africa was stripped out of them, not only on the ships, but also what they call a seasoning process. And once they got into Carib into the Caribbean or into lower and in, in, in the South Carolina, they were put into a seasoning process where everything relating to Africa was stripped out of them. They, they don't know, they know nothing about Africa. They haven't got any relatives, cousins. They don't get Christmas cards and, and greetings, New Year greeting from Africa. They know nothing. They are called, their real name should be Native Black Americans. They were here before 99% of all the other people, immigrants ever came to this country. They're the oldest people in this country. Since, not, since black, all, 99% of all the blacks in this country are the direct descendants of slaves, that makes them the oldest population in this country. So you tell a lie when you say this is a an, an, an country uh, of immigrants and, uh, and the blacks are no different from anybody else and we're going to treat them like an immigrant. They are, not, they are not immigrants. And treat them like that is an insult and a disservice to them. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is that black folk in this country uh, is due reparations because everybody in here has, has advantaged themselves off of black folk. Black folk have never enslaved anybody. But all these people coming into the country now, they, they, their, their ancestors had been, been at war with this country. Everyone, every ethnic group in this country, have their home country, the mother country, has been at war with America. The only, only people in this country who's never, whose ancestors are mother country was never at war with America, that is black people. Black people are the most patriotic people in this country, period. Not those people coming from the South that are running over the Capitol, climbing up the walls of the Capitol. Those people who call themselves patriots, they're not patriots. Those are the first terrorists in America. They've tried three times to take over this country. Black folk are the most patriotic people. The only people in this country who fought in every war on behalf of this country and whose mother country never went to war with this country are black people. That's it. That's very special. And the, the second part of the biggest lie was told, is being told every day that promotes racism. That the silent, most deadly form of racism is this: is black people to participate in this one. Is that you see, keep saying that that this is a nation of, 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 of where of, of, uh, of people came here for equal opportunity, and uh, and they, and therefore we, everybody has 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 contributed equally to the development of this nation. That is the second biggest lie that's ever been told. And it's being told every day in your schools, in your in your in your political arenas. 
and all over the country saying we're a nation of immigrants and everybody has contributed equally to the development of this nation. That's a lie. The only people the only, uh, that contributed and never got benefited from it are black people. And then the worst thing you can do is give it a pretense that somehow that everybody has contributed equally for those immigrants coming into the country. It's black people that built the country. They were the economic engines that drove the development of this nation. They are the people that, that, that built the roads, the connects, the, the roads, the highways, the dirt streets, everything. They cleared the land of, of rocks, bears, snakes. They're the ones that planted the, the crops. They're the ones that built the hotels, not the hotels, but the, the office buildings all over this country. The Capitol buildings, all built by blacks. The Capitol buildings in all these southern states in the south. They, and those buildings were built by black people. Black people built the roads. They built the canals. So what I'm saying is that that's the second biggest lie that's told. But every day your politicians would go out and buy into that lie by saying, we're all equal. We're all equal and we're together. Black folk have never been together with whites. Black folk were in the fields picking and being worked to death before they got to be 40 years of age. The people that whites weren't out there, and white women were out there. White women said, say, we are equal to blacks. No, you are not. You co-own, co-control, co-influence, and inherited 100% of everything the white man did. If you got a problem about your, about sexualism and something that the white man's doing that's, that's, that's against women, you go home and get that guy who's, who sits in the same bed with you, put his feet on the same table. That's who your problem is with. It's not with black folk. And black women that keeps trying to join white women and go against their own males, they're doing a disservice to themselves, their family, and their race. And remember, this train system going through, this will be the first time that we're going to have black folk competing together. And guess what? The train is going through the old cotton belt, the black cotton belt that runs from, from the East Coast all the way over to Dallas, Texas. And black folk have over 4 million acres of black land down there that's going to waste right now today. No, it's not being used because nobody will let them into the agricultural system and they get it and they don't have the wealth building tools down there, the platforms. So please understand this, this, this black rail system is going right through the old black cotton belt to give opportunities to blacks who've been denied. And, uh, and hopefully I, did I answer your question for you? Oh yeah. You answered it very well. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'll remind everybody while we're here, uh, you're listening to Dr. Claude Anderson. He's the author of the books, Powernomics, Black Labor, White Wealth, The Black History Reader, and Dirty Little Secrets. Um, I consistently mention the titles of those books because uh, I'm hopeful that you will consider going to powernomics.com and taking a look at what Dr. Anderson and his company have to offer. Uh, I, you know, When we talk about buying black and supporting what we believe in, uh, if you believe in this kind of thing, uh, then I hope that you'll, you'll, you'll talk with uh, with your support, uh, you know, because uh, I, I really think that when you're talking about moving forward and hearing from scholars that, that really benefit our community, uh, there aren't that many. You know, a lot a lot of scholars are working for big white universities. Uh, even some of the HBCUs are not really giving you what you need. They're not teaching you how to start businesses and how to build industry. They're teaching you how to go work for white people. Uh, that's that's unfortunate, but that's what it is. So. Uh, it, you know, given that you're here and if, you, if this is the thing you believe in, I hope you'll do what you can uh, to actively participate in all of this, actively participate in discussions on this, actively share the message, actively support uh, when it's time to buy your kids a gift, get them a copy of Powernomics, you know, just make this a culture. We're trying to build culture here. And if, if I sound repetitive, it's because that's what's required in order for you to build something. You got to be when you build an institution with 10 million bricks. 
you got to be repetitive in laying out those bricks and they got to all be solid. So y'all are solid people. And I want to say thank you all for being a part of all of this. Uh, also, hit the thumbs up button, share button, subscribe button. And also tonight, uh, if you want to participate, we're doing a special lecture in the Black Business School. I'm going to do one on how to form your economic family. I'm going to talk to you about how my family works together every week, how we have our family business meetings, how I form my economic family, what it means to form an economy within your family. And so if you're interested, you want to take a look and you also want to get the access to the curriculum, uh, you can go to economicsurvivalplan.com. That's right there. So feel free to go take a look. So, Dr. Anderson, let me ask you this question. Um, okay. Before you leave, let me let me one make one last comment. I hate to be I know I sound looking pure rude, but I keep cutting you off. But, no, it's okay. Uh, you asked me a question, I didn't completely answer it about uh about House Bill 40. Um the, the th real thing is that they, that the House Bill now is not necessary because you see the Constitution has had it, it beneath every one of those laws that were passed, the 13th, 14th, the 15th Amendment, and the civil rights laws of 1865 is stipulated in those in those uh, documents at that time that the, that Congress had not only uh, uh, the ability but an obligation to make any changes in what they were setting up for black people in this country and what they and what they were entitled to and do that was in the original documents for 13th 14th and 15th amendment and the civil rights laws of 1866 and 65 so they don't have to even have a plan the second point following that is that a plan is an insult if you tell Tell, tell whites not right now that we, we, got, we want reparations. And but instead of calling Anderson and say, how much money do we owe black folk? You say, well, go, go, let's go study it. Let's go study and find it out. I have already written a study. The study is black labor, white wealth. It's in that in that, in that, in that power pack. Wow. Of five books. That is your study. That your study is there. I, I tell you right now, there's no way on earth that, that you're going to put together a committee of, of six whites from the, from the House of Representatives and six whites from uh, politicians from the Senate and, and one from the, from the uh, White House and say they're going to write a study. They're, they're going to take seven years to write a study. My study, the Black Labor White Wealth, tells you everything you want to know. It's documented with times, with times, with timetables and with all, every down to every penny, every nickel that, that whites were able to acquire in this country, how they got it and who helped them get it. That's in the Black Labor book. That's the one of the books. That's, that's the base book that's in the, that power pack, power number packs that you can get right now by going to the Power Numbers website and ordering the, the Power Numbers pack. Now, that's that, that's the second thing that it's already been done for you. You don't have to do it. You don't need to study. The third thing is that it's an insult that you're going to ask white folks right now whether or not you want to, whether or not you owe black folk. When every study I've seen in, in, in the last 60 years, whites have shown that they have no interest in doing anything specifically for black folk to reward them. That's why they keep using all these big, very broad, ambiguous terms saying we take care of everybody. We talk about we we are we are for minorities and poor folk and people of color and uh, and poor people and all this kind of stuff. That's all a, an excuse to get around doing something specifically in black. That's why doing slavery and, and, and when slavery broke out, there was a major study done at that point in time. Where in this country, 98% of all whites in 18, in 18 in the Civil War started in the 1800s. That Civil War started, that 98% of them were totally opposed to the freeing of black slaves in America. That's a fact. Now, the second thing that's going to happen, you need to understand, is that now they, they, were, they, they were opposed to reparation or doing anything for black folk. They would not give black folk 40 acres and a mule. Why in the world, if they wouldn't give you 40 acres and a mule, 150 years ago, what do you think you're going to now have a study to say is 
to give us the trillions of dollars that Anderson could tell you that they owe you? And so, no, what they you find out now that after 150 years, what they, they, their hatred for black folk and the opposition to giving black folk anything has only gone down 10 points, Dr. Watkins. It's dropped from 98% to where it was in, in, in 1860s. It's now down to 88%. So it dropped from 98 to, to 88%. So 88% of all the whites in America are still adamantly opposed to giving black folk reparations. So that's, that, that again says, why are you going through that study? The next point is that, 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 you, that you're giving away authority, power. You don't give somebody the authority. You don't go, when you work for a week or two weeks in a job and you haven't gotten paid, you don't go to, the, to your boss and say, uh, uh, would, you, would you study whether or not I know you owe me a salary because I've been working for all these years and I've never been paid? Would you study? And what? Nobody's that stupid. They're going to say, no, I don't owe you a damn thing. If you're that stupid, let me enslave you. And that's what white folks say in their documents. I got books piled up that high that say where whites say the reason that they, they despise and hate black folk is because black folk are stupid. They're lazy and stupid. They're weak people. They're weak. All they want to do is march and, and pray, and, uh, and that's all they want to do. And I, and I keep saying, no, they're not. All black folks are not, are not stupid, and they're not weak. They're strong people. And, but that's what they say well, when, you, when, you, when you keep begging and marching and, and, and asking, asking people that you, you determine whether or not you owe me because my, uh, my grandmother never got an education and she never got went to school one day. And my father only got to the third grade and uh, because of the laws that say a black person cannot, can ne never get an education higher than the eighth grade. Well, then you, you, you think white folk are gonna confess and voluntarily give you the money and stuff? No. So what I'm saying to you is that you do, your, you do yourself a disservice when you go ask the people that owe you, uh, do you really owe me? And so but I don't want to get into that discussion right now because I'm just proud of the fact that, that we do have some white politicians in the country, a few that are very favorable to black folks for getting reparations. And I think that the Biden administration is very favorable. And uh, I know with Al Sharpton with them, he's going to make sure that they, that they come up with something in reparations. Well, um, let's hope so. Let's hope so. And uh, so I want to I want to show you something, Dr. Anderson, given what we were talking about <clears throat> with uh, civil rights. Um, I put this uh, up on my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is the real Boyce Watkins. And um, and here uh, was a statement um, uh, from uh, President Biden. And it says, uh, let's be clear. Transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time. There is no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say that a lot of the uh, folks on my Instagram page didn't feel too comfortable with that statement. Uh, what say you, Dr. Anderson? Would, would you agree with that? Or, or where, where, where do you stand on that? Well, you, you all should simply say, what happened, what happened to the original intent? What happened to the original intent of civil rights? What happened to the original intent? Just find, go ask all the people you know, what was the original intent in civil rights? And, and you tell me, you hold up your hand like this, and I'll bet you it's, it, how many says, show me, put up your fingers on how many people know about the original intent. You probably won't get, you'll probably be like that, nothing. Because the original intent of the civil rights of 1865 and 1866 was strictly and solely for black people. It wasn't for, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with gender. It had nothing to do with, with, with language or culture or whether you're an immigrant or you were born, a natural citizen born in this country. That's their problem. See that, and see the, the, the civil rights laws went into effect at that time for, for some very simple reason. 
and that is first and foremost to reverse to reverse the Dred Scott decision of 1857. The Dred Scott decision of 1857 by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court Dred Scott decision in 1857 says that black people, a black man, has no rights in this country that a white person is bound to respect. And that was so. There's a reversal. And so if you go, if you if you skip past the black folk and go, you're going to go to other groups, to women or gender groups, or the power uh, economic groups. What happened to, to what happened to this original intent? Because because and, and and it should have been still focused on black folk because you haven't solved it. And that's what and that's what the slaughterhouse case said in 1872, about uh, 15 years after the civil rights law was passed. It says that the slaughterhouse case that says that. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment and the Civil Rights Laws were stri- written strictly and solely for black folk that keep the white majority from going back and re-enslaving them and exploiting them, misusing them, and abusing them. That's the Dred Scott decision of 1872 by the United States Supreme Court at that time. And keep in mind that that all that these the Supreme Court ruling was came out by, by white slave owners. Even they said that. Because you see, out of the first 57 uh, people that were slave that was on the Supreme Court were all white slave owners, and these white slave owners say that it was written strictly for black folk. Why would you now, 150 years later, say it's for everybody? It's the United States Supreme Court. It keeps watering down the Supreme Court laws, watering down the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendment, because because they have nothing has changed with the Supreme Court. You see mm. what I'm saying? Mm. Rich, they, and they, it was to take care of black people. Nobody's ever taken care of black folk. Nobody's taken care of and done anything specifically. Not one political party has ever done anything specifically and solely for black folk. Not one. Not, <clears throat> not, not, not the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, or the uh, uh, Libertarian Party, or the Green Party. And see, I'm, I'm hopeful now that the, that the Biden administration will be the first one in history that says we're going to correct all this. It's imbalance. Inequality came out through centuries of, of abuse and misuse and exclusion of black folk. They use very broad and ambiguous terms to exclude black folk by focusing on minorities, poor folk, people of color, and, and anything else they can call it. And until they, until they correct that, how are you going to jump past them now to, to gender and transgender? You haven't done anything for black folk. Why don't you take, take and solve the problems? I'm not against genders or, uh, uh, or any genders or transsexuals. I'm just saying, keep things in order priority. You got problems here that goes back over 300, some 300, I mean, uh, uh, almost 465 years now. Why don't you solve that problem? Why don't you solve the problem with black folk before you jump to women's issues or to, uh, to minority issues or immigrant issues or poor people issues? Take care of black folk or multicultural issues. Take care of the black folk. There's, this country has been riding on black folks and on their backs for 465 years. Take care of them. And so, uh, but, but they, but, uh, but, and, and House Bill 40 won't do it. All you do is give, give the white racists about seven years to do nothing for black folk and wait for seven years and say, we took seven years of doing nothing, thinking about it, we thought about it, even though we knew the answer when you took first asked us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying not to, Dr. Enzo, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to listen and learn like everybody else, but. And, and so I, I don't want to do. I, I wanted you to do all the talking because you you are, you know, you are the Godfather, and the, and I I definitely defer to you on on all of this. But but uh, I, I think it's a joke. I think it's a complete joke. I have no um, expectation. In fact, I almost read 
you know, I, the, the biggest thing I probably dread is them actually coming back with a reparations bill, uh, you know, that, where they're really trying to pay reparations because I know it's going to be a bunch of BS. You know, it'll be one of those situations where they say, well, we gave you something. Now you, you can you complain about everything. So you show up and you say you owe me a million dollars and somebody writes you a check for a hundred bucks and they say, see, I paid you back. And, and, and so sometimes you almost feel like um, a conversation. If you're not going to have the conversation right, then don't have the conversation at all. And, and it's almost like they're already having the conversation wrong. The, the wrong people, you know, at the table, even having the discussion. What what you know? What is the fear of talking to someone like yourself, who, as you mentioned, you did the, you did the study. You black labor, white wealth. Everybody, in case y'all haven't looked at this book, Dr. Anderson does arguably one of the best displays of specific information about specific things that were specifically done that had specific monetary value when it came to the exploitation and, and the harm to black people. So the, the idea that they're saying, okay, we're, we're, we're going to ignore all of that and we're going to get a bunch of uh, random people to go and start all over again, that right there tells you that they're just doing a delay tactic. It's a delay tactic, right? That, that way we can go another eight years and do nothing for black folks while we're diluting the black vote by letting, you know, letting lots of people, you know, uh, come across the board and all this other stuff. So while we're diluting the black vote, we're going to hold you off so that you don't really ask for anything because we can say, look, we're studying it. We're thinking about it. We're trying to decide if we've ever harmed black people enough to owe them anything. And I think that that is um, kind of crazy. Honestly, it, it only stuff like that will only work on people that are just really not intelligent at all. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Anson? Well, see, and, well, see the first <laughs> further along another point I'm going to give you about House Bill 30 or 40, really, is that um, they gave rep they've given reparations to almost every group that's, that can conceivably be recognized right now. And that uh, we give reparations to uh to uh we gave for the Marshall Plan in Germany and Europe. We gave billions and billions of dollars to them to rebuild those countries for having bummed them and torn up some of their buildings and some of their some of their uh and lot and, and wasted a lot of lives over there, even though we weren't the ones that were bombing it that was the germans that were bombing the europeans not americans but america went out of its way to to pick up the cost that the germans should have been paying in the marshall plan for what germany did to to the, to the european societies over there not americans they gave them about billions of dollars i can't remember how many billions but it was either seven or eight billion i don't know what the billion was now now he gave them money uh they gave, they gave money to to japan we had a point four, uh point four program where we bombed, we did bomb Japan, Nagasaki and Yokohama. Uh, we bombed them in Tokyo. But guess yeah. what? We bombed them and we gave them the point four program again, billions of dollars to resuscitate uh, Japan. Uh, we gave money to reparations to to uh, to Jews who came over here, moved to America because they were poor. Just because they were poor coming to America, we gave them millions and millions of dollars to help them. We gave money to uh, to the Puerto Ricans after we went to war with the Puerto Ricans and took over the islands. We gave them reparations. We gave reparations to the Cubans when we when we fought to, to, to take over Cuba and to control Cuba. The United States gave them reparations. And coming out after the Civil War, when 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 the first terrorists in America were the were the redneck states and the, and the southern the Southern Confederacy that when they when they lost the war Civil War, we gave them reparations. Because you see, they spoiled it, but by law, 
they supposed to be they supposed to have been hung and shot for being terrorists in this nation and selling the nation out and, and having killed almost 200 some million i mean almost 200 some thousand people see the south should have been punished for that and the, and the, and the leaders were supposed to be hung but not only we didn't hang them but we gave them reparations you know what we did we gave them back all the land all the land that they had owned before the civil war they got back every acre of land and in addition to that the law that the congress had passed a law called the freedman bureau and in that freedman bureau they had put some money in there for black people for clothes food and stuff because they were the only people that denied 40 acres of the mule and and and, and weapons or tools or anything else they were starving to death when they set them free the whites in the 1860s set almost get almost five million blacks free and then give them a, a, a nickel or a dime but see all the whites who had been into what we call contracted labor they they had they were on seven-year contracts they got paid they got they got they got land they got animals they got tools they got weapons and they got money but see mm-hmm. black folk didn't get anything but see any, any white that was in, in servitude they got paid blacks got nothing and so the, so consequently Blacks were, were ill-equipped to go out there and support and do anything, and so right now, that so right now they they, they said, well, well, we said we got to study for black folk. Here's my main point: never in this country has this country ever said they could not help other people and give them reparations without with, unless they did a study. They didn't do any studies with the Marshall Plan. They didn't do any studies with the uh, with the, uh, the four-point plan for for the Japanese. They didn't do a study. On giving uh, and and raping and robbing the freedmen uh, banks to give give all the land and the money back to the Confederates in the South after the war was over, they they did not they did not do a study to give back give money and stuff to the Puerto Ricans and to the to the Cubans, they didn't do they didn't do, they they didn't give they never have required a study to give back reparations until now. The question in your mind should be, wait a minute, what kind of equity is this? Where you where you, you, mis, you mistreat and exploit, misuse, abuse, subordinate a specific group of people for 465 years, and now you're going to need a study saying, did we do all that? <laughs> that makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all. And for anybody who wants, but I do again, as I said, I do compliment the administration. They do suffer black folk. I hope they certainly do because I'm very supportive of everybody. Of everybody, everybody owes black folk. These immigrants coming to the country, I think every immigrant should be paying at least about a thousand dollars into a special fund for black folk for reparations in this country. Every mm-hmm. immigrant coming to this country should not be admitted to, <laughs> should not be able to come to this country and get first class citizenship and get a green card without putting money into some kind of a into a into a mm-hmm. deposit for money for, for rebuilding black communities in this country. All these black communities that, that have been raped and robbed since the civil rights days back in the 1960s. And when they burned out most of these cities and took and drained them of their resources, blacks should be getting reparations for what happened in this city just since the civil rights movement. But they didn't do it. What they did, they went in 1964. They had President Ben Johnson come up with a thing called the Opportunity Act, and and saying that uh, we'll give something to we'll give something for for to black folk uh, on the on on the under the guise of uh, civil rights, and uh, that would be for black folk. Then immediately all the women rushed over to to the to the to the uh, United States Congress and beg them to take the focus off of black folk and put it on women. And so women, that's where you got the title nine from. They took the focus off of black folk and put it on white women. That's the same thing the white women did in 1868 when black folk are going to be freed. And, uh, and when they're going to write the Emancipation Proclamation, 
again, when, when all that was being done, they, they, they'd already gone and said that white women said, don't, don't set all these blacks free and we're not free because we, we want the right to vote. They had everything else but the right to vote. And they, they, they had it indirectly. All you have to do is own land. White women couldn't vote. Most white women couldn't vote because they didn't own any land. That was a problem. White folks, white women have always been able to vote. They can't say they didn't have the right to vote. They did have the right to vote. But to be able to write to vote, to exercise it, you have to have, you have to own land. And that's why they vote. Nobody denied them. That's why in, in the 19th Amendment came and said, okay, this is the first time you can be able to vote without owning land. But that, that that's why. But they said, well, we didn't have the right to vote. Yes, you did. You've always had the right to vote. You need to own land. Your husband and your boyfriend own all the land. You get, white folks got two billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N. They got two billion acres of free land in the United States. Starting off with, with George Washington and, and, and uh, Thomas Jefferson, and, uh, and that's where all the land went. Whites got all the land for, from Maine all the way to San Diego, California. They still got it today. They only control 99% of everything. Blacks only control less than one half or 1% of anything in this country that has any value. That's why right now this, this rail system is the most important thing that's ever been brought up and put on the table for black folk. And I'm sure that the Biden administration will buy, will will find it helpful for, for them to improve the infrastructure. And I know they'll probably help. And I'm, I'm sure they will. So um, I want black folk to put the pressure on them, though, and tell them, you damn better better do something for black folk and quit trying to put us last behind everybody else and pretend that somehow we are happy because we damn sure not. All right. Well, you know, um, uh, I want to tell everybody, uh, first of all, I'm talking to Dr. Claude Anderson uh, from Powernomics.com. He's the author of the books Black Labor, White Wealth, uh, Power, Powernomics, uh, the Black History Reader, and Dirty Little Secrets One and Two. Uh, that's his website right there. Uh, it's on the screen. Uh, hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button. And also, if you want to join us tonight for the Economic Survival Plan lecture, uh, you know where we break down forming economic families and economic security, feel free to go to economicsurvivalplan.com. That happens tonight at eight o'clock. If you're watching today, if, if you're watching after today, you, you can watch the recording if you want to. Uh, also, uh, if you want to contact your elected officials, um, the website I gave you earlier was usa.gov. Uh, so let me um, let me give you all information on how to contact elected officials. What Dr. Anderson's asking for is he's asking for your support to uh, to get a meeting with uh, some members of the Biden administration. So here uh, are ways to contact. You can contact Biden's administration directly. Uh, I'm going to pull the page up so you, everybody can see it. Uh, if you go to USA.gov, uh, this is what you'll see. And right at the top is Biden's information. But you can also scroll down and you can find your state and local officials and pretty much any branch of government. Uh, most of your congressmen, their, their information is right there on the Internet. So go to USA.gov and uh, and let them know that at the very least they should be talking to Dr. Anderson because so many millions of you are in alignment with his ideology. And if you really care about black folks, then you'll care about what black people care about. You won't be telling them who their leaders should be. You will ask them who their leaders are. You follow what I'm saying? You don't tell black people who their leaders should be. You ask them who your leaders are. And Dr. Anderson, is he your leader? Is he one of your leaders? Give me a yes in the chat. I don't need to be your leader. He, he's one of my leaders. So is he your leader? If, he's, if you put yes in the chat, then that means they should be asking you who your leaders are, not telling you who your leaders are going to be. So Dr. Anderson, um, I'll let you get the last word before we head on out of here. Uh, in, any final thoughts about you know where we go from here and 
what to look forward to? Uh, well, first thing, and also be concerned right now, there's a there's a bill going to a request going to the uh, United States Supreme Court uh, where Asians right now, Asian immigrants are filing a lawsuit against that race being used in uh, in, in, in admission to major, major universities. Now, they're just coming into the country and saying, we're opposed to you giving black folks preferential treatment to go into uh, to university settings. And I would see in my my what I would do, I would do I would do the reverse of what most blacks was gonna do. They're gonna say, well, we, we need to keep getting race as 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 a, as an as an indicator of deprivation and and the, the benign neglect and allow them to have a, a few points over people coming into the university system. I would say no. Let's just go back, Let, let's just go back to the original intent. You go back now and go back to all these black universities and colleges in the United States and started funding them in equitable fashions. Give them the same money and resources and access to everything that that, that, that these major white colleges got and all that. Make sure that you got the best materials and the best instructors in those black schools and across the country and let them be competitive. And we, you don't have to have an, an integration. Forget about social integration because it has not worked. It has failed. And just go back and rebuild, rebuild these black institutions and rebuild these black communities and put that and make those make those schools magnet schools, make the black schools magnet schools and make the high schools magnet schools, which is a combination of the best curriculums and the best trade schools in those black schools across America and let them compete with the white schools. I wouldn't I wouldn't just be sitting busting my butt trying to get my kids into my, my daughter went to Harvard. And uh, I paid paid suffer that suffer this economic burden of putting it there. But uh, then go back to the black schools, subsidize them, and and bring them up to snuff. And then and don't be trying to invite any all the other kids that are not blacks into black institutions and giving them scholarships. At the same time, the white colleges are shutting black folk out of their out of their system by saying we're against using racism in the mission. But you use race to get them into white into black schools. But you won't use race as a mission to get black kids into white schools. That is some dumb stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just told the to point. And now they're going to file a lawsuit saying blacks at Harvard and all these major big uh, colleges should not be using race as a criteria. And that's and that's and that is in violation of the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and the 15th Amendment. Now remember those those three amendments and the civil rights laws of 1865 and 1866. Those were for specifically for black folk. Though the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendment and civil rights laws constitutes an affirmative action plan for blacks. Whites had their first affirmative action plan. That was amendment in the Constitution. The Constitution from amendments one through 12 was the first affirmative action plan in the United States that was strictly for black, for whites or anybody who can classify it as whites. And all these immigrants come to the country, 99% of them are classified as whites. And they're confusing race with, with, with religion and with culture and with language. And they get by by saying, when they use, we're against race, but they're, what they're doing is using those terms by, about culture, language, and religion to give them, make them equal to black folk. That has nothing to do with race. Racism is a, a competitive relationship between whites and blacks. That's all. It's not, it has nothing to do with Asians or Chinese or, or Arabs or anybody else. All right. All right. Well, you know what? Um, It looks like we have uh, had a great day today and I hope everybody will take a second and let Dr. Anderson know how much you appreciate him. Uh, Just say something in the chat. uh, Let him know how much you love him because we we have to celebrate our heroes and show the show. our love um, in every way that we can. Uh, You know, we, we don't ask for permission around here. 
Uh, we are the people that need to be empowered to make our move. We make you make if you want to establish power. One thing about power, and this is my little two cents to add to everything great Dr. Anderson said today, is that one thing about making power moves is that you don't allow yourself to be in a position that a lot, a lot of black folks uh, allow, which is where you're always reacting to what they do. Instead, you actually want to have first mover advantage. That means that instead of you reacting to what they're doing, they need to react to what you're doing. Instead of them manifesting their reality and you responding to that, you manifest your reality and make them respond to that. That is a basic fundamental strategic move. This works in chess. This works in poker. This works in football, basketball, anything. And this works in war. Uh, you want first mover advantage. So I need you all to make a move. Whatever that move is, make your move. Uh, first move is that we go to USA.gov, contact your, your representative, maybe go straight to, to Biden. Maybe we all call Biden's office and just let them know uh, what we're thinking so that we can get on, get that on the radar screen. Uh, number two, uh, build build your families and build your wealth. Uh, also, if you're interested, you can go to powernomics.com. Dr. Anderson has great books that are guide guide templates on how you can empower yourself and empower your family. And uh, and then also we, we have another platform with some free resources on it at theallblackagenda.com. So you can feel free to take a look there. Uh, we have a lot of stuff for you. Uh, I, at the end of the day, whatever move you make is up to you. But I just want you to make the move. You be the leader in your family. And that's that's all we ask you to do. So thank you very much, Dr. Anderson. Uh, I appreciate your time. Okay. Now, uh, Dr. Biden, do you think most of uh, your, your audience and your students are going to respond positively to this last chance, first chance and last chance for us to own and control a, an industry? Because we're going to build, we're going to link this, this, this rail system with all other forms of transportation. Where we're going to go in these, these, those depots in those southern black cities. We're going to have buses coming up to, the, to those depots to pick people up. But we, wherever now, we used to have cab companies in all black cities across America. And, and the integration killed off our black cabs. And now what they use, they use Uber to, you know, to, to pick, do the same thing we used to do. And when I was a kid, it was called, it was called uh, uh, jitneys. And we're going to put, put black jitneys again where black people can have cabs picking up our people at the end of depots at these train stations across America. And go and be able to give them rides and take them where they were downtown and stuff. We have jitneys and, and many, many buses. And then we're going to put blacks into the mini buses business and the, and the jitney business back the way it used to be when I was a kid, where I can go to Chicago, inner city, and the jitney would pick you and take you all the way downtown for 10 cents. Because they, they all stayed on one street all the way downtown and one street back. And so we're going to play the game on building wealth and power in America. But now but I'm depending on them to just to bombard for the first time in this country. Jam the lines and everything you can do to make sure that this in, everybody in this country understands how important this is. This, this high speed rail system is for black folk. This thing will be moving, as I said, at 250, 300 miles an hour to take you across the country. It's, and it can get you there as fast as the airlines can. If you exclude getting, you know, getting out of the car and going into the stadiums, into the studios and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what, Dr. Anderson, I want to show you something. I want to ask you about this. Uh, and I, I, I think this question is right up your alley. Um, this is the image I put on my Instagram. My Instagram is the real voice Watkins, if anybody wants to follow there. And this shows a neighborhood um, in Detroit called Black Bottom. And it shows before and then it shows after where you got a bunch of freeways, a bunch of expressways that, went, that are going through Black Bottom. Whereas before it was this uh, prosperous neighborhood that they claimed the Detroit Urban League reported that within Black Bottom and Paradise Valley, there were over 300 black owned businesses 
which included physicians, barbershops, hair salons, hotels, drugstores, and more. In one of the most controversial episodes of mass gentrification in Detroit history, the virtually all-white city government bulldozed Black Bottom, the beloved ancestral home of many of Detroit's uh, African-Americans. It was done in the name of slum clearance. And they said Black Bottom uh, was a residence for a lot of prominent Black folks. Uh, that a lot of great things happened here before it was taken down. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, are you familiar with the Black Bottom story, Dr. Anderson? Yes, I am. They used that when Black folk, when whites uh, started talking about uh, uh, social integration and they wanted to integrate all these all, all these cities and white folks got together and says, if Black folk can all come together for social integration so they can walk in as a group in a body and mix with us, we got to come together. And that point in time, whites had businesses all over Detroit because whites had a, they had their own communities. Whites had communities, they had, they had while blacks had Black Bottom, whites had, a, they had, uh, they had, uh, they had Cork Town, Pole Town, Hockey Town, Greek Town, Asian Town, Chinatown, and uh, and they were and they were having their businesses and but and they said, well, blacks come in here, we don't want blacks to mix with blacks. Let's let's we, we got to get away from these black folk and use some broad terms. And so they they took the Highway Act of eighteen of nineteen fifty six that Eisenhower had enacted, and said, let's build expressways outside of Detroit because the boundary of Detroit then was eight mile road. And so they said, we're going to go to Eight Mile Road and, 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 and develop the, the areas out in the wooded areas there and, uh, and, and make and build homes and suburbs out there. There was no such thing as a suburb in Detroit, Michigan at that time. And all whites were forced to live with black folk and, uh, and, and these various little communities. But they said they wanted some way to get away from black folk. They said, let's go down and, and take the Highway Act and go and tell and go to every area where blacks were trying to build businesses like Black Bottom and let's take that land and 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 declare it uh, uh, obsolete and we're going to build expressways through it. So they build expressways through every black community or a neighborhood in Detroit, Michigan. And they build expressways so white folk they can get out of Detroit faster without stopping. They could come in Detroit and make a living off of taking the money out of black folks' pockets and then get on the expressway and get back to the suburbs. Then later on, after about 10, about 15 years, they moved it then after 1967, after the riots, they moved the, moved the suburbs out further and started calling them exoburbs. They were even further out. And uh, so then, so the, so, and then when they moved those, built those suburbs, they moved all the businesses and the factories and the industries, Ford Motor Car Company, Chrysler, and all, and all the cottage industries, moved them out to the suburbs. So the blacks had no businesses. And they said that way, we move all these businesses out of Detroit and close down and run an expressway through every black neighborhood. Black folk cannot survive in Detroit, and we'll blame black folk for having to destroy the city. And so they blame Detroit. Then they said they won't have a tax base, but we're going to move the banks out, or they'll build factories. Everything will go out to the suburbs where whites are going to live, and we build malls out there so blacks have to bring their money out there and give it to us. And that way they impoverish themselves because they can't practice group economics and group politics in Detroit. And we'll bring them. We do that in every city. Whites kill off Detroit. And all these other black cities, even Atlanta, Georgia, what used to be called Sweet Sweet Albany, that's that's where all the blacks of the country would go down Atlanta to enjoy themselves in Atlantic City, Atlanta, Georgia. But then they built an expressway right through Sweet Albany. So now you're going to see an expressway and a couple of raggedy buildings. They did it in every city: Atlantic, Atlantic Beach, Atlantic, uh, uh, New Jersey. They did it in every city. You find it if you want to find out where blacks used to live in these urban areas. 
go find the expressways and you're you'll find that the black people's old residence is either under the expressway, over the expressway, or beside it, or it's going right through it. Mm, wow. Well, you know what? Um, what, I, what I'm really thinking about here, Dr. Anderson, on this is um, it seems to me that this should be included in the reparations conversation. You know, it seems that when you're talking about paying black folks reparations, there's a lot more than slavery to talk about. A lot of things happened after slavery. I mean, I'm looking at some pictures here of, of Black Bottom as you were talking, and it's just, it's, it almost makes you cry because you see just, you know, just what was there and what was taken away and what would have been passed down to us. You know, what kind of wealth would have been, um, you know, would have been provided from all these businesses, that, some of which would have become multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies. You know, and uh, and I think that it, it seems to me that if you're talking about, you know, if you're trying to have a serious reparations conversation, you got to talk about some of the things that, that were done to black folks in the hundred some years after slavery was over. You know, uh, I mean, this is a this is a tragedy. This is an absolute tragedy. But well, you're, well, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. They did the same thing in my hometown in Western Salem, North Carolina, when I grew up there. See, at that time, we had the only black bus lines. And I was going to tell you about how the bus lines. When I told you back when I was talking about the train, uh, the trains, they have began, blacks were going to take over most of the job as pair, as, as uh, uh, Pullman porters and everything. And the, and the, and the train station, the jobs as an engine uh, fireman, putting logs and coals into the stove to drive it, to drive the railroads. Well, they began to start trying to figure out how to not let black folks take it over and blacks will start demanding more money and everything else. So then they had to try to get to the buses. So my family is one of the families that built the only black bus line we ever had in the United States called the Safe Bus Company, S-A-F-E, Safe Bus. That was in Western Salem, North Carolina. We had, and they, they went, into, went into business in about 1927 in Western Salem. And then, of course, they were they put out of business by the, by, the, by the integration movement in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1960s. And... Uh, so, so integration killed off most of our businesses in Detroit and Black Bottom and also in Western Salem. We had we had over all these buses, our buses were the only buses that were running for the whole town. White folks rode our buses. We owned the buses that time. We were four families along with my my family, um, uncles and all of them. So that we we owned the buses, called the safe buses. But when the, when the blacks began to integrate the buses down in Montgomery, they had a chance to bought that bought the bus line and run it. But they preferred not to. All they want to do was sit on the front of it. And once they got, once they were able to sit on the front of it, that movement came up to, came up to North Carolina, and blacks in North Carolina said, "We want to ride on the front of white buses, just like Rosa Parks and, their, and other blacks in, in, in Alabama." And we said, "We don't have any buses for you to ride on the front of." They said, "Well, get some so we can sit on the front of them." And so, so, <laughs> the safe bus company had to go out of business so black folk can sit on the front of the white buses. And uh, they did the same thing with our cab companies. We had two cab companies. We had the blue, we had the, the Campbell City Cab and the Harris Cab. Whites had two cab companies: the Bluebird and the Yellow Cab. And uh, so the, our people didn't write. See those kind of those that's, that's those kind of vehicles. And they so they put all them out of that. There's the see that's see that there, that's that's a safe bus right there, as you just saw. And that's that was those are our buses. We had buses. We had more buses than damn white whites didn't have any buses. And they put our buses out of because black folk wanted to ride on the white, white buses, ride in the white cab companies, and uh, that killed us off. They all did the same thing with the black movie theaters. 
we had, we had, we had, uh, we had two black mo movie theaters in every black city in the United States at Lincoln and Lafayette. Lafayette. And uh, so our, our movie theater had to go out of business because they didn't want to go to our theaters anymore. They didn't want to go to white theaters. And the whites had three theaters in Winston Salem. They had, they had the Forsyth, they had the state, and they had the Carolina theaters. So integration just tore us to pieces. And not only did they build expressways, they built expressways through and destroyed all the neighborhoods. And then they told black folk, y'all need integration. What y'all need is more in social integration. You don't need to own anything. And then we can give y'all a job. And I told them, I said, black folk don't need no damn jobs. They need businesses. That's what they need. Blacks so had full-time employment and jobs during slavery. All of them were 100% employed in the field picking cotton or in the rice field or picking tobacco or uh, picking tobacco. But see, but, you, but you, most of your leaders, they don't understand all this history. So consequently, they're not going to come up with the right ideas because they're not, they, they, they're not old enough wasn't around when all these things were going on. And the same thing we start talking about people choosing between now talking about uh, gay rights and women's rights and all this stuff. And uh, when I was kids, during the war, then the Germans that we had, the German prisoners in Winston-Salem had more darn rights in Winston-Salem. They had more rights than the blacks. And they were, in, they were in prison, POW camps. We walked by them every day going to the, going downtown. And, uh, and the black, white prisoners would pat their butts and blow their nose and try to spit on us. And they were prisoners of war. They had been captured. We had like, one submarine. We'd, we, we bombed a submarine right off the coast of North Carolina. We got about 270 damn uh, German prisoners in there and put them in a POW camp on up on Liberty Street and and, and Fifth in uh, in Western Salem, and they were behind a fence there. But they would they would try to spit on us and pat their butts and drop their pants. And then and guess what? By the time we got downtown, they would be downtown sitting in the best hotels. The, the prisoners could go downtown where blacks couldn't even go for whites. They would sit. They would go to the big hotels. They would go to the best restaurants. Blacks couldn't go to it, and so you start talking about reparation. It has to be more than just picking, picking cotton. But I can't get that into black folks' heads. They, 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 it just won't go in. They think that you're only talking about uh, picking cotton. We we worked in the cotton fields all day long and all this kind of stuff. We're thinking about all the blacks they killed and slaughtered, and it's talking talk about riots. Do you know? I'm gonna tell you this is the last point. And I got to get off. That we had. And they talk about how black folks just rioted in, in, in cities and burn and, and, you know, during the civil rights movement. Let me tell you a secret nobody knows. Do you know we had over 248 riots in this country that where cities were burned down? Do you know who did the burning? Whites burned them down. Whites burned down over 248 cities during, from, 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 the, from the 16th and 1700s up to the present day. And guess what? They were all black towns. Blacks, uh, whites burned down black towns, maroon towns. When they're back in the 1600s, they burned out all the maroon towns, and as well as later towns like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood, and, and Wilmington, and, uh, and Memphis, Tennessee. Whites were always doing the rioting. Black folk have never rioted and burned down white towns, but whites have burned down over 248 black cities and black towns. And just to put them out of business, they have sundown towns all over the country. Texas had more sundown towns than any other state in the United States where black folk are not permitted to come to anything in that town. And so if you get a chance, uh, you, you look, at, look at, the, at the Dirty Little Secrets book or the power, was it, power of Numbers, you'll probably see a picture there in that book where I'm standing underneath a sign that says, 
uh, by the Ku Klux Klan. Did you see that in the Dirty Little, Dirty Little Secrets too? Um, I did not see it. Um, I'll look it up though. Yeah. Okay. Look. Look on. You'll see. And that's what I'm talking about. What they did there. They they would burn down anything that was black. They burned down 248 black towns. But I've never heard anybody make a mention of that. When white folks talking about, well, you know, black folk always burning down white folks' businesses. Well, white folks burned down black homes and businesses for now for over 300 some years. And they burned down over 248 cities, even, even and even Rosewood. They've always they've always burned down black town. And blacks have never done anything to white folks to justify them burning down their towns and city and and they and lynching even tried to burn down a part of New York where black folks live. That's what that's what Wall Street used to be. And then and and and, and lynched most of the blacks, hung them on light, light poles and from electric poles and to trees. So don't you let don't you believe that stuff about uh about again about black folk burning down whites. It's twice folks were, were the biggest rioters and always been the big rioters. So this January this this uh January sixth uh riot, riots here in Washington DC. That was a typical way whites have acted throughout history by thinking they are dominant. They got the weapons and they got the majority population and they got, therefore, they were free to do whatever they want to do to blacks anytime they want to do it, any place. That's why they've always been the original terrorists in this country. Black folk have never been the terrorists in this country. And so they've always been the most patriotic people in the country. Okay. All right. All right. Well, <clears throat> Uh, there we go. So there it is, everybody. Uh, if you could take one second, please, and thank Dr. Anderson for his time. Uh, again, show your love. Let him know you love him. <clears throat> also, uh, hit the thumbs up button, please, uh, before we head out of here. And also, his website is powernomics.com. That's where you can find all his books and everything he has to offer. Um, I hope you'll take a look. And uh, this is a great black library for black folks that really want your families to know what they need to know. And uh, if you're interested in this kind of thing, uh, tonight at 8 p.m., I'm doing a special lecture on economic survival plans for the entire family. I'll explain to you how our family holds family business meetings and how to form your economic family. So if you're interested in getting access to that curriculum, feel free to go to economicsurvivalplan.com. Bring your family, bring your kids, bring anybody you want. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to learn a lot. So uh, thank you very much, Dr. Anderson. I, I really appreciate your, t your time, and um, it's great talking to you. Well, thank you, and I I'm hopeful that We'll hear from all these people that were, that were, well, first would contact the, the Finley group uh, by email or however they uh, prefer to do it. And let them know they are supportive of this project. And because we've got to put enough pressure on Washington and, and the Department of Transportation, let them know that, that we want this, this, this thing authorized as quickly as possible so we get this line built for all these different business opportunities and, 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 uh, and uh, employment opportunities in the cotton black belt that runs across the south for black folk. That is critically important. And secondly, I'm going to go down and go to my wife's place and check and see how, how many of them buy the books, powernomics.com. And because uh, all this information is in those books. And if you don't understand the history, you're going to be like most of our black politicians right now. You don't understand what you're doing in Washington, D.C. and what you're mm -hmm. dealing with. So I thank you. And again, I'll look to see, talk to you next week, buddy. OK, and take care and give me a call when you feel up to it. Uh, I sure will, my friend, uh, and I appreciate you. And everybody, uh, if you want to know the information to contact the Finley Group, uh, if you'd like to be a part of what Dr. Anderson is working on or you, you have some resources that can be of help, uh, there's the information right there. So just take a screenshot and uh, share that around to anybody that, that you think can uh, be ben a benefit to the project. So take care, everybody. Have a good day, and uh, I'll see you soon, Dr. Anderson. All Thank right. You. I like to see you soon. Bye-bye.
Bye bye. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Here we are.